Good morning. When uh, Brian asked me if I would come here and share this morning, he said he needed somebody to preach in the worst way. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. Anyway, I want to wish all the dads here a happy Father's Day. Um, you know, Father's Day comes once a year. One day a year is all we got. So I would suggest you milk it for everything you can get. Now this is my 51st Father's Day, and I think my kids have pretty much caught on to that, so that's, that doesn't work for me as much anymore. Anyway, it's, uh, it's really great to be here with you today. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles or your devices or whatever you use, to open them to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. And uh, once you get there, I want you to stay there. Keep your fingers there in Matthew 13 because we'll be, I'm just going to read some of it, but then we'll be coming back to it uh, as we go through some of the things that are said here. Boy, this is windy up here. Anyway, we'll just hold on as we go. Matthew chapter 13. Now I'll begin reading in verse 10. And... Uh, and then, as I say, keep, keep your Bibles open to Matthew 13, and then we'll go from there, okay? Verse 10. Now, to set the stage a little bit for this, Jesus is out at the Sea of Galilee, and uh, he was teaching the, the multitudes out there, and this follows right after he taught the parable of the sower, and we all know the parable of the sower, where the sower seeds seeds, and... Um, this is weird. I'm getting feedback up here, but that's, I'm not used to this. I don't do this for a living, folks. Anyway, um, he talked about the parable of the sower, and after we was over with, his disciples came, and they asked him a question. They say, why do you teach, why do you teach them in parables? And that's the, that's the, uh, background here and then so in begin reading in verse 10 it says and the disciples came and said to him why do you speak to them in parables and he answered and said to them and by the way the rest of this from here on out is in red in my bible you know what it means when i say it's in red in my bible right yeah this means yes i know what you mean this means no i don't do you know what it means when i say it's by the way you guys that are reading through the bible for a year when one of the really neat things that you can do is just start reading the red stuff and pay particular attention to the red stuff. Anyway, the rest of this is read in my Bible. And he, said, and he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand, and you will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their eyes they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, and lest, lest they should 
see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. May God bless his word this morning. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord God, we just, uh, we just ask for your presence here this morning. We ask that your spirit might come and give us, give us insight, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we might know your presence and know your, your kingdom a little bit better this morning. Lord, I pray that you would make me better than I am this morning and that you would have your way with this and fulfill your purpose in this time. And I ask it all in Jesus' name that it might be accomplished. Amen. If I can keep this together out here, we will do it. Well, we're just going to have to do it that way. Jesus, he was a master storyteller. He communicated by using all kinds of stories and analogies and metaphors, and he combined all these techniques into a method that we refer to as parables. Now, a parable, as defined by Webster, is a similitude, a symbolic allegory, or a story designed to illustrate a truth or to convey a moral. A moral. And in short, Jesus used earthly or used parables to as earthly stories to to really as pictures or windows if you will through which we can see a heavenly truth. He used parables to illustrate the invisible spiritual world by using analogies from the visible and the natural world. Scholars agree that Jesus used more than 100 different metaphors, and he told at least 36 parables, so much so that his disciples asked him why he did this. We saw that in verse 10, and Jesus answered them by quoting from the prophet Isaiah. Now, it's not my intention this morning to really delve into that, but let me just say a few uh, I think there are a few reasons, at least, that Jesus used parables and why he did it. The first one was that he did it to fulfill prophecy. We've already heard from Isaiah, but if you look, if you're still in Matthew 13, if you go down to verses 34 and 35, it says, And these things Jesus spoke to the multitudes in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Now that comes from Psalm 78. And the second thing, the second reason I think Jesus used parables was that uh, they, it, they were a good way to reveal truth. And we see that in verse 11, and I can't keep this Bible open here. Um, and he answered and said to them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So he used parables to reveal truth. And then thirdly, and this one might catch you up a little bit short, 
but he used parables to conceal truth. Not everyone was intended to hear Christ's message. We see that again in verse 11 because he says, but to them it was not granted. Now why? That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, not everybody was intended to hear Christ's message. It's like he kept it hidden from people. It's like he was withholding salvation to them. I mean, that that just doesn't smack with what we hear because isn't it doesn't the Bible say it's not God's will that any of us should perish? And yet here it's implying that Jesus is withholding the truth to some people. I mean, that's a difficult thing to deal with. That's a <laughs> That's a good question. Why would he do that? Maybe that's when you want to submit to Brian and he can deal with that later on. You know? Just trying to help you out, brother. So. But, whoops. I got too much junk in my Bible. Somebody can get that for me. Last time I did an outdoor service, I had the same problem. Anyway, where was I? It, well, we'll go on. I think another reason Jesus used parables. Did you want to preach on any of this? <laughs> I don't know. This is all over the internet, too, isn't it? This is great. This is great. <laughs> where was I? Oh, another reason. Parables provide examples of how truth applies to everyday life. I mean, we see that, and they make truth relevant, and they make it practical. They're also, they also are attention grabbers. People, uh, I mean, they weren't dull sermons about the nuances of the law. They were interesting stories that captured people's attention and their imagination, and they were effective means of communication, not only in the conveyance of a message, but also in its retention. And then lastly, they they exposed and they confronted wrong motives. They made things obvious. Now, having said all that, I didn't come here to talk to you this morning about parables. I came this morning to talk to you about the message that is embedded in many of the parables Jesus told. The message in many of his parables was to reveal the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Now that phrase, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is, uh, is mentioned 162 times in the New Testament. And uh, it's the same phrase, kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. The, the only difference is, is in Matthew's, turn this over this way. It's in Matthew's gospel because Matthew used the phrase the kingdom of heaven and he did that primarily because his audience was the, were the Jews. He wrote primarily to the Jews and they were afraid to say any word uh, or name for God so he substituted the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God. It's kind of like in the, the Harry Potter novels, you know, they couldn't say the the name Voldemort, because if they did, he might show up or something. So they just said, he who would not be named. Well, the Jews were kind of the same way with God's name. They didn't want to say it, and they didn't want to. So Matthew basically substituted the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus 
Jesus was laser focused and, and he was intent upon teaching the people about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And if you still have your Bibles open and they're not blowing all over the place, let's go back to Matthew chapter 13. And I want to show you some things. And again, all of this is in red in my Bible. But if you go to verse, first, down to verse 31, he said, and he presented another parable to them saying <laughs> that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is, <clears throat> and this is smaller than any other seeds and so forth. Then if you go down to verse 33, he said he spoke another parable to them. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three pecks of meal until it was all leavened. And then down into verse 44, if you'll turn over there, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And then in verse 45, again, again, this is all read in my Bible. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant sinking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. And then in verse um, 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach. They sat down and gathered the good fish into containers but the bad they threw away. And then finally down in verse 52, this is all one chapter in the Bible. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings forth out of his treasure things new and old. In fact, all of Jesus' teachings and all of his parables, he spent more time teaching about the kingdom of heaven than anything else. In fact, uh, in his very first sermon, which is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 4 and in Mark chapter 1, he says this. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what did he mean by that? What's that, what does that mean to you? What, what do you think it means? Does it mean that now that Jesus is here, that the kingdom is here, and as long as he's here, it's here, but once he's gone, then it's gone too? Does it mean that when he comes back, the kingdom will come back with him? That the kingdom of heaven is in some far-off future somewhere. And by, by the way, when you say the Lord's Prayer, and you say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, are you thinking that, that well, that's going to be in some far-off future event somewhere, and it's going to be established when Jesus returns in glory? Is that what you think? Well, let me suggest to you that I think it's something a little bit different. I think Jesus means it a little bit different. I think the kingdom of God is right here, right now. And I think it's been here all along, throughout history. We just don't see it because it's hidden from us. 
And I think Jesus tried to show us that. You know, he tried to explain this to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. I want to just turn there and read to you, if I can, uh, a little bit of this interchange that goes on between Jesus and Nicodemus. Because it's kind of an interesting insight. Now, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because he doesn't want to be seen with him. So anyway, he comes and he starts asking all kinds of questions. And Jesus answered and said to him, and again, this is in red in my Bible. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, let me say that again. Unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The, word, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, how? How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? You know, Nicodemus was a religious leader. He was a Bible scholar. He was steeped in religion. But he just couldn't see it. He couldn't understand it. He couldn't enter into it. Why? Well, Jesus explains. He says, unless you're born of the Spirit, you can't see it. You can't enter into it. And Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, but the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. He cannot understand them. Because they're spiritually appraised. You and I, natural man, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, we can't see it. We can't touch it. We can't feel it. We can't enter it. Unless we have been brought to life in the spirit and given sight to see. You know, I've said this many times in the class that I teach. There are two kinds of people in this world. There are those that say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. And then there are those that see it when they believe it. And that's the way it is with the God's kingdom. You can't see it until you believe it. And you can't believe it until you're born of the Spirit. It's as simple as that. And Jesus told parable after parable after parable describing the kingdom of heaven. And he said to those who believed, he said, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear.
Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they are. Now, as I was thinking about this message this morning and I was praying about how to present it, I found myself thinking, well, how would Jesus do it? If Jesus were here and he was going to teach us about the kingdom of God, how would he do it? And it dawned on me, duh, he'd probably use a parable. Because that's the way he did it when he was with us. He would take something from our everyday lives and he would use it to teach us about his kingdom. Well, remember, parables show us things that are true in the spiritual world by things that we understand in our day-to-day lives. And I think if Jesus were here this morning and he was going to do this, I think it probably would go something like this. He would stand up here and he would ask you, how many of you have your cell phones with you today? If you got them, get them out. I want to see your cell phones. I want you to hold it in your hand right in front of you. Jesus would have one of these probably, and if he didn't, he'd probably borrow one to make this point. But he would say, okay, get your cell phones out and hold them right in front of you. And then he would say to you, the internet is at hand. The internet is at hand. It's right here, right now. You can't see it. You can't feel it. You can't touch it, but it's all around you. It's right here, right now. And when you leave here, folks, and you go and you get in your car and you drive away or you go home or you go out to a restaurant for lunch or anything, the the Internet will still be there. It'll be with you wherever you go. Every hour of every day, everywhere you go, the Internet is all around you. And then he would say, The kingdom of heaven is like the internet. The kingdom of heaven is like the internet. You can't see it. You can't feel it. You can't touch it. But it's all around you just like the internet. And it's everywhere you go. It's a modern day parable. You're holding in your hand all the combined history and knowledge of mankind. It's an amazing piece of technology. But if you didn't have one of these, or if you didn't have some other kind of device, you wouldn't even know it's there, would you? You have to have one of these to access it. And so it is with the kingdom of God, my friends. Even even though it's ever-present and it is all around you, everywhere you go, you can't access it on your own. You can't do it. Jesus said you've got to be born of the Spirit. And the Spirit, the Spirit will guide you into all things, into all truth. Let me tell you something. If you think Siri is something, you should try out the Holy Spirit sometime. Because God, it was, it was God who invented wireless communication. Did you know that? God invented wireless communication. It's called prayer, and it's been around a lot longer than the Internet. And this kingdom, this invisible realm, undergirds and surrounds us and supports us and penetrates the visible world that we live in. It permeates our existence. 
Now, we are restricted, and we're finite, but this kingdom is unrestricted, and it's infinite. And the problem that we have, actually the problem in the church, the problem with us as Christians, is not that we don't believe that such a kingdom exists. The problem lies in our failure to realize that it exists right now and right here. And it's not in some far-off future in some far-off place called heaven. It is with us right now. And in our finite word, worlds, we, we worry about all kinds of everyday things, like we heard from Matthew 6 today. We worry about the weather. We worry about work, or school, or crops, or our health, or our finances. We, and, oh, yeah, we pray occasionally. We go to church where we soak up the good news about salvation and the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the, the fellowship of the church, even the future rule of Christ. But we totally miss the fact that the kingdom of God is at hand. And we can touch it. We can grasp it. We can enter into it. And we could do it now, today. In fact, you... You rarely hear this talked about in church, at least in the church I attend. I don't know. Um, I mean, they never talk about the king, and it's almost embarrassing. It's embarrassing because the core of what Jesus said and did pertain to the kingdom of God. He said, it is here, right now. He said, seek first the kingdom of God, and, you know, all that other stuff that you're worried about, That'll be taken care of. So seek first the kingdom of God, because when you enter into God's kingdom, let me tell you, folks, you're going to be amazed at how well things begin to work. And when you come to Jesus and you receive him as your Lord and your Savior, the Holy Spirit is then your access to the kingdom of heaven. He's like a free app on your, on your cell phone. And let me tell you when, you, when you download the Holy Spirit, kingdom living begins to become a reality. You know, how many, think about this. How many of us here just can't live without this thing? I mean, think, have you ever forgot it somewhere or left it at home or you're going somewhere and you just don't know where? It, doesn't it just drive you nuts when you don't have this thing with you? Apparently not. Huh? But it does. I mean, if I forget this, I, have to, I live out in the country about 20 miles, and when I forget it, I have to turn around and drive home and get it because it just drives me crazy not to have it. You know, they say... They say the average per person uses their phone 150 times a day. I don't know if that's, uh, that number seems a little bit high to me, but you know, I got it off the internet, so it's got to be true, right? 150 times a day. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, isn't that the way it should be with the Holy Spirit? I mean, think about that. Oh, we would just rely on him as much as we do our cell phones. Our lives would be so much different and so much for the better. Can you imagine how different your life would be if you sought off 
sought after God 150 times a day? Can you imagine? Now, I know we all go to church, and we all hear a good, inspiring sermon every now and then, especially if you go to this church, you hear an inspiring sermon every Sunday. You know, I found out a long time ago, if you're going to preach at somebody else's church, it's always a good idea to butter up the pastor. So, Anyway, you hear a good sermon, and you get all inspired, and then you go home. And you go about your week, and the world begins to creep in, and all of the stuff that you heard Sunday and the stuff that made you, it all begins to follow, fall away, doesn't it? You experience that? Happens to me every, almost every week. Well, I hope this one's different. At least I hope it will stay with you for a little bit anyway. And I, I want to help you with that. I want to give you a trigger, a trigger that might help you remember this message this morning about the kingdom of God. This coming week and from here on out, I want you, whenever you take out your phone, I want you to remember that the kingdom of God is like the internet. It is with you wherever you are, whatever you're doing all the time. So whenever you take this phone out, I want you to think about that, that God is with you. God is right there. He invented wireless communication, folks. And his, his Wi-Fi is always on. And the kingdom of heaven is like that. And God is always there. He's always willing to listen. He's always willing to talk. So this is your trigger. This coming week, whenever you get this out, to use it, realize <clears throat> that the creator of all things, the creator of everything, is right there. Right then. And he's there for you. He is at hand. He is at hand. And blessed are those whose eyes can see and whose ears can hear. Amen.